Free Your Inner Guru is a listener-supported show. Supporting the podcast is also designed to support you by keeping the episodes free of ads, but also with rewards for your donation like the Free Your Inner Guru guidebook, a private listener forum, and live monthly Q&A sessions. To become a supporting member, you can visit patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. I've chosen this interview with Lee Harris as the first interview for 2020 to set the conversation tone for the new decade. This is a conversation about energy, spirituality, how to be a resilient contributor in the times we live in, and what it's been like for Lee to embrace his role as leader as both his influence and his organization experience rapid growth. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. It was a joy to speak with Lee about his work, and it was so refreshing to talk about the relationship between spiritual leader and those who follow. The more open we can be about this leader-follower dynamic, the healthier it is for everyone. I'd love to hear your response to this episode. There are uh, several ways you can do that. Just follow the links in the show notes over to Facebook or Instagram, and every episode has its own page on our site. With no further introduction, I give you Lee Harris. Our guest this week is Lee Harris. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Lee. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. And like I was telling you just a minute ago, I love the name Free Your Inner Guru. And I think if we could all do that, we would the world would be a better place. I want to share with the listeners that... Um, I found you online through a Facebook post about two, almost maybe three years ago and have been um, paying attention to you and your work since then. So in your um, bio, it says that uh, you're an intuitive medium, transformational leader, musician, and visual artist. And, uh, and I also know you as an, an as a channeler, which I guess we could call a, a, a fifth element to, to your work. Can you give us a little bit of your backstory and, and how you came into the work that you're doing now that gave birth to Energy Speaks? Yeah, so, you know, I, my backstory is, it's, it's always easy, isn't it, when you look back? You can see everything with much more context than you could at the time, but as a child, I was very creative, and that was an outlet that has been with me since I was little, but I was also, unbeknownst to me, very sensitive and very intuitive. And because I didn't know how to deal with that, the way that I dealt with it back then was to develop an eating disorder by about the age of nine, quite quite young. I was taken to Weight Watchers age 10. I was taken to various diet clinics and all through my teens. And it wasn't until I was 16 and I number one came to terms with my sexuality because I knew I wasn't heterosexual. And I also got lots of information from the world that that was going to be a huge problem because we're talking about like, you know, the early 1990s, 1991, but it was 92 when I was able to start to tell people, I think I'm gay. Um, but also, um, the kind of hidden aspect that I wasn't seeing at that time was I was about to have an awakening. And as I started to get happier, 
I started to lose weight, as I started to be more creative and around the right people, I started to get deeply into metaphysics and spirituality and self-growth. So I went to drama school to complete what I had done all my childhood. You know, acting was like an outlet for me. And I always say acting is very shamanic. You become a character in a play, in a different story, which if, if, you're, if you're struggling with self-hatred and an identity crisis is perfect. It's like, oh, great, I can kind of go and do this and be someone else. Um, but I already knew that drama school wouldn't hold me. I knew that acting wouldn't hold me. I thought, I think I want to direct film. When I was at drama school, music happened to me and I suddenly started hearing music from nowhere, age 21, and writing music and writing songs. So I was, that was what I was going to do. But a year after that, when I was, you know, sending my demo tapes out and like doing the kind of, you know, some money jobs in London to pay the rent and be able to kind of survive, I was on the London Underground, the tube train one morning, sifting through all of my thoughts. And I was in a relationship at the time that was pretty problematic, which, you know, is perfect resonance for me at the time. And I remember talking about it to myself in my head, you know, sifting through these thoughts. And all of a sudden I heard this voice and it said, that's a very interesting perspective, but you're wrong. And I was like, oh, like, cause I'd never heard this voice before. It wasn't like the voices in your own head, you know, your own thoughts, mm. it was very different. It was like hearing another voice, an actual voice, but I was aware that I was the only one hearing it and it was coming from just above my head to the left. So, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh my God, this is schizophrenia. Yeah. Great. Now I've got this to deal with. But <laughs> Auditory hallucinations? Check. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, but what was great was because I had been taken to a channeler about eight months before by a friend. And let me be clear, like I loved tarot readings. I'd been for several of those at that, at that point in time. I loved self-growth workshops, like going to workshops that were all about helping you uncover your potential and who you are. And in my case, heal my wounds. And I, you know, I had plenty I was dealing with at that time. Um, but I was skeptical of the channeler. So it wasn't that I didn't believe ch in channeling itself. But when I was sat in front of this man, I remember thinking, he's a really nice man. And he's clearly wise because he came out with some really interesting stuff about me when he was channeling. So why did he have to close his eyes and put on a strange voice? Why couldn't he mm. just tell me that? So it's why if people ever tell me they're skeptical about channeling, I'm like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I get it. I don't think any of us should ever be skeptic, not skeptical about anything that we haven't had direct experience with. And the irony for me is that it happened to me. I heard the voice of my guides. They explained, we're your guides. We've been with you all your life, but this is the first time you can hear us. And I spent the next four to six months going home after work every night and writing question after question down on a piece of paper, some very personal, some more universal. What's the point of life? What's being a human being? And I would write down the answers they gave me that I heard in my head immediately in response. So once I'd got over the fact that, you know, I wasn't meditating in the Himalayas, I hadn't been a vegan all my life, although I was vegetarian at the time, 
you know, all the ideas I would have had as to why someone could be a channeler, because bear in mind, this is 21 years ago when I think, unfortunately, a lot of us still had that idea that spirituality or spiritual people were special or blessed or unique. And thank God now in 2019, we're beginning to realize any of us can be anything. It doesn't mean we all will be because there's only so much any of us can master or be in a life. But these, these things that perhaps seem miraculous because we've been taught to separate from them and believe they're outside us, they really aren't. And so that's really how it began for me. Yeah. The first time that I ever heard of a channeler was actually meeting one who was also going through some of the workshops that I did. And it was, it was in that environment that I became, um, I became exposed to different kinds of people. And many of them then even as short to this was even not as long back as the, the, when you started hearing your guides, but 10, even 10, 12 years ago, there was a, the world was a lot less receptive. Oh yeah. And I was extremely skeptical at first, but, but life kind of shows you that, you know, how to, how to tell what lands as a truth. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you know, the skeptical thing, I, I fully understand being skeptical, but what I think is slightly weak are the skeptical arguments. So the thing I will often see that always seems the most insane to me is the idea that people who are channelers or mediums or whatever are trying to pull the wool over other people's eyes. Oh, they're just trying to get money out of you. They're just trying to... The short-sightedness of that thought is fascinating to me because I'm like, no one in their right mind would want to go out in society and say, hey, I'm this thing that we all know a whole bunch of you are scared of, we'll judge. It's insanity. So, you know, you could say, well, channelers are insane because they're willing to stand for something. Um, but I've always been fascinated by that argument. And it, truth be told, you know, especially with the whole money argument, because you get that around anybody in spirituality who's making a living. It's one of the weakest arguments. Oh, well, you shouldn't be charging for your Reiki. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that person really needs to look at their own issues with money because, um, you know, most of us, there aren't many people. I mean, I do know a few very wealthy people, but there aren't many people I know who don't need to work for a living to keep the economy of our life going, whether it's your rent, whether it's the kids you're looking after, that's the system that we're all in. And um, so I find the arguments laughable now. Like I can see the negative comments that get leveled at spiritual people, and I can see the, the lack of intelligence and thought in the criticism. I also can feel for the wound of the person, the person who has been betrayed, clearly, the person who has had people let them down, has had people trick them, or, you know, maybe in a past life they were a witch hunter, and so now they're doing it online, I don't know. But it, it is interesting, and I think, I think what is also interesting to me is I think we have an innate interest as human beings in spirit, soul, and life force energy. So it, that interest, until we fully open to it, can sometimes show up as skepticism, judgment, defense, 
but it's interesting that we're not just completely neutral and go, oh yeah, I'm not interested in any of that and walk the other way. It's like, mm, what is that? Oh, who is that? You know, whenever you're having that kind of reaction, you're entangled. And so anybody who's criticizing, including myself, like if I find myself being judgmental or defensive against a person or a thing, it's always a good clue to me. I'm like, ah, oh, what's going on here that I haven't gone deeper with? So it is interesting. And I don't think channeling is for everybody, but I always say channeling is there to help you open to your own channel. I always say to the people who are in the rooms with me, when I'm channeling, I, I say, don't worry if you drift off and don't pay attention to my words. It's a frequency. It comes through the third eye and the crown. So the same effect can happen to you when you're listening to it. Meaning if you go off into some trippy vision about your own life, don't at any point think, oh God, I'm not listening to what the channel's saying. Perfect, you've, you've gone exactly where you're meant to go. And my guides always say channeling is more about the frequency than the words. And I've seen evidence of that over the years that people mm. who gravitate to intuitive or channeled events, they're either already open or they're opening that side of themselves. It's not about celebrating Esther Hicks or celebrating the secret or saying, oh, Lee Harris is good. It might be for a moment, but you'll soon get over it and free your own inner guru. And then you'll kind of go, actually, the reason I'm interested in that is because the energy that I'm experiencing when I join with it is an energy I want to recognize or an energy mm -hmm. I want to open. And that's really why I think it's good that all walks of spirituality, whether it's channeling or yoga or nutrition, conscious eating, are coming to the mainstream more and more because it gives all of us more choice as to who we want to align with what we want to open in ourselves and it's never really about the people doing it it's more about your reaction and response to the person who is being the conduit it occurs to me that this um this the way you describe that as having this choice there's more choice now than ever before so in the past somebody who was intuitive or who had guides and 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 functioned as a, a, a conduit for them, they would be in, they would be mega outliers mm. relative to more of a, a continuum available. It seems to me like even when I was getting into it, I, I came out of the business world. So, mm. you know, very grounded in, you know, systems and process mm. and tools and logic. And what I was looking for, because I do consider, I'm, I'm, I'm a, um, I'm a, a, a lifelong learner in the truest sense of the word, and also a lifelong teacher. Like I, what literally mm -hmm. was a teacher before I went into right. business. So I've always been who I've been, but it was the environment of being exposed to more that helped to open my eyes to it's a it's not just all about the money and it's not just all about um financial freedom that there are other sorts of freedom that i could relate to in a in a much more organic way than just making every i've always been a i could i didn't have the words for it at the time but always been a, a make a difference person mm. So when I was in my corporate life, when I was in sales for like corporate America, 
here's your here's your um, bonus plan and your commission plan and your quota plan. And I couldn't relate to that. That could not motivate me. But what could motivate me was either making a difference in the life of the client or the travel associated with being successful. So I would move mountains, literally, you know, the first, the first year of that, that part of my journey, the trip was to Ireland and I Irish danced as a child. And Ireland is the only you place could that be I be Irish actually, just looking at I, you. You know, you, told, <laughs> no, you really could. I think I'm gonna say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I sounded Irish. <laughs> I was watching a video this morning, like, oh, that accent. But um, you know, I it's the only place that I've ever wept leaving. And it was that it was these kind of emotional, visceral responses that also opened me up to the ideas that would have been almost or taboo with my Roman Catholic upbringing, but the idea of multiple lives and energy and, and, and looking just beyond the obvious Mm. for what is true for me and what occurs Mm. as my, um, you know, my inner compass. Mm. I love that. And, and it's funny because, you know, one of the things that I, I've directly experienced this myself, but I share this with other people is there's a time when the spiritual search hits your life. And for many of us, it hits your life with bells on, like you go headlong into it and you spend years maybe doing it. And then there comes a point when your spiritual search asks you to return to your human self and your human life and bring all that you have learned and all that you have experienced and all the ceiling that you raised on who you are back down into this body to really clear out any remaining trauma, particularly perhaps the trauma that led you to the spiritual search in the first place, and then to really perform on the earth and to be somebody who in whatever way that looks for you, whether it's raising your grandchild because you know your kids need help or your kids aren't there anymore, or whether that's you know creating a movement in your country that affects hundreds of thousands of people because you see there's a need for something that's gonna help people connect to a better life and you're the person who can strategize it. Consciousness in action becomes the next best place to go. So I love what you were saying about the money thing because I had somebody once, I was working with them and they were like, well, I want millions of dollars. And I said, okay, well, how much do you earn now? And they said, well, I only earn about $40,000 right now a year. And I was like, okay. I said, well, you know, what, what, where would you start to feel happy? And I went, well, I said, if I was earning like a hundred or 120,000 a year, I think I'd start to feel happy there. And I challenged them and I said, yeah, and that might be enough. And they were like, well, no, I need, I need millions. And I was like, well, why? And they said, because I want to do this and this and this. And, this. and I said, yeah, but probably if you had 100 or 120 grand in your, in your life every year, um, that might be enough. And we started to unpick it. And what I was trying to imbue to them is I think we all have certain needs when it comes to money and when it comes to how we need to live our life. And, you know, some of us or a lot of us can have money wounds. It's like, oh, we were always in debt or 
our family never had money. But when you kind of clear the baseline of that stuff, money or reward, unless it can serve connection, is kind of pointless. You know, it's like um, I've, I've known many miserable people um, with tons of money and I've known many joyous people with, with, with not really that much money, but they're living their life with purpose and through connection. And so I think we're entering a very interesting paradigm where more and more people are living life in a purposeful way and leaving the old system that you're talking about. Or equally, these are the people I love as well, going into the old system and re-energizing it from the inside. You know, you look at what's going on in the political race right now and how diversity, women, spiritual candidates, gay candidates, it's like it's its becoming this melting pot. Um, so I, I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but I guess what I'm saying is your story is so, um, I've met so many people who have your story and I too have your story where it's, you go off on the search and then suddenly you come back and all your innate gifts that you had before, you're like, oh, they don't have to die. But now I have a different way of using them and I have a different focus. And it's about the possible effect that, that, that I can have. But because I'm doing it because it enriches me. It's not because I need an award or a, an extra hundred grand or a, I'm doing it because it feels good. And that to me is, is kind of the miracle of life. It's like if I, if I, I couldn't have felt that 20 years ago, I wouldn't have, I would have liked the sound of that feeling, but I wouldn't have been able to hold that feeling because I hadn't gone through all the stages that I've gone through now. It's so interesting. You, you frame it that way because this morning I had a, a, a coaching session with somebody who's known me since I was a teenager and at the end of it, um, and it was a, it was a, a first session. And at the end of it, it was it was intense. And I'm good at putting my coach hat on and, and not being that teenager, so to speak, or so I thought. Because at the end, what he said to me is, "I see you right now. You know, with your enthusiasm, with how present you are, with this conversation that we just had." with you know and you know, we were laughing as as I was bringing in different elements that were very much like a teacher and he's like and and he was just giving me some feedback I had given him some and 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 he was like boy oh boy and I and I and I told him I said this is what I call it's you know I, I use the word alignment to to describe that feeling like feeling fully aligned with you know, the gifts, but also having integrated the various experiences for, you know, the, the good and the bad or the, 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 the light and the dark and, and just bringing them in to some kind of perspective and sometimes kind of usefulness. Mm. And I can see that from the point of view of even like your, you and your, your guides, they're called disease, right? Can can I refer to them as disease? Yes, because they gave me the name Zachary. Uh, they said, we don't really have names, but we'll give you a name because we know humans need names. So Zachary was the lead <laughs> spokesperson. And then as the years went on, I met a couple of the others in the collective because they're a group. And those names were given as Zayadora and Zachariah. I was like, okay, they're you know, very unusual okay. names. 
But then, you know, they, they really only speak in one voice now. There was a period where they differentiated, but now it's just one voice. So it was the people who listened to them through me that started calling them Aziz. So now that's just stuck and that's what we call them. So you could take your, you could take these voices and do nothing with them. Mm-hmm. You could take them and you could use them um, in ways that serve society or mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they, if it's within, this is not a realm I understand fully, obviously. Um, but you know, you could use their, their, this higher perception in ways that are nefarious, I imagine. Um, or they might nefarious. leave you. Nefarious. That's in- so you mean like use their use their wisdom for, for, for not good deeds? Yes. You know that doesn't work. And I'll say I'll say why it doesn't work, because I have witnessed up close and personal the crash and burn of a few people who have used their spiritual power for negative egoic desires. And so I have witnessed people who do have a who, who are spiritually connected and have a power. Um, and, you know, there are people that you meet now and, you know, you meet them and you're like, you're clearly gifted. And I wouldn't want to be stuck with your ego for a week in a room. Or mm. if I was, I would have to tell you some truths in order to create enough space for me in there. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of seen the shadow side of using spiritual power um, for negative egoic actions, meaning actions that are designed to serve yourself whatever it costs anyone around you and that never goes well like I've seen people get away with that for maybe a year and then I've watched everything fall so I just don't believe it can hold so um but I, I like that, that I could use disease for nefarious actions that's very I'm gonna have to think about that what, what that would look like but you know they've also told me that the choice is mine um there were several times I thought of stopping public channeling. I think the last time I really considered it was like 2015, 2016. And um, I actually doubled down on my commitment through going through that process. But they've always said, we'll be with you for your whole life, but it's your choice. You, you know, I'm not under any contract mm. to do what I do. There, there is a choice involved from my perspective. So um, Energy Speaks is your first published book. Is that correct? It is. We self-published some channeled material in the years leading up to Energy Speaks, but I withdrew those two books and we took some of the content from those books, added about another kind of whole book's worth, and we re-edited the whole thing so that I wanted it to be a really user-friendly kind of greatest hits of everything the Z's have brought through in the last 15 years. So that's why the areas are so diverse. I thought it'd be nice to give people a kind of broad ranging energy map of how our life works from my guide's perspective. And, you know, what does sex and sexual energy look like and what, what does it mean and what's it for? And what are the areas that we as a society are still trying to evolve through? Or let's look at abundance and receiving and money and how that shows up. So yeah, that was kind of why Energy Speaks came to be in the form that it's in today. So each chapter is... Um, well, most of the chapters is is taken from a public session that you had. Yes, public if session. I, I think yes, I think a couple 
were recorded privately, so recorded without an audience in the room and then distributed to an audience. But actually, I, I think about 80, 90% were recorded live with people in the room. And and I think I've got a list of the of the chapters beside me just as prompts. And I think it would be really great to set a foundation with um, with the the name and and a little bit from you from the first chapter on on you are a light worker and mm. and what that what that means because again that was one of the 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 words or you know hybrid words that when I heard it the first time I was like huh and yeah. and <laughs> me too me too because really? I, I didn't it wasn't a word in my language. Uh, it was a word they used and then it was a word I was seeing other people use. Yeah. And and I think the thing. The and I was, I, I was having people describe themselves as, well, you know, I am Susie and I'm a light worker. Yes. And I always loved meeting Susie, the light worker. If Susie, the light worker was seemingly always of the light, but I met a lot of light workers who would proclaim they were light workers, and then you'd watch them be mean to the person that they didn't like, you know. And I would think, oh, how does this work? So I think I had a little, it took me a little bit of time to go beyond what perhaps we as a human collective have decided a light worker is, and to really understand what the Z's are talking about. Because what, what they say is everyone is a light worker. Now, we're all teaching and learning from each other and we all have the capacity to bring each other great learnings great lessons light love but there are certain people on the planet who are predisposed to be light workers and there are those who may never ever look at spiritual language but they're absolutely light workers so it's the nurse who is just like an unbelievable rock star in the hospital when you're one of your family members or you are in there for three weeks and they just, you don't, you know, whatever's going on with their family at home or whatever their own stresses are, they come into that room, they bring light, they bring love, they bring hope, they bring connection. She may be highly skeptical about spirituality, but if we just look at her energy, she's a light worker because she's working for and on behalf of the light. Doesn't mean she isn't allowed to have a bad day, isn't allowed to be a bit judgmental every now and then. She's a human being like we all are. So she's going to have her, if you like, rougher edges because we all were born into that society. So we're all finding our way through those dents and bruises that we carry as a humanity. Um, but then there'll be the other kind of light worker. People like yourself, where it's like not only does it light you up to spend a good amount of your time bringing love, connection, learning to people, but you're actively doing it in terms of exposing people to, well, what does spirituality look like? And what might it feel like for you? And let's talk to this shaman and let's, so you're in a way a bridge for other people to find their own light. So you're, you're a more active light worker in that way. And I would be in that group too. But yeah, I didn't love the word um, a decade or so ago. Um, but I've come to understand that any word or any term really only carries the meaning we ascribe to it and to have my own relationship with that word that might be different to how someone else is using it. Because, um, you know, I think one of the shadow sides for light workers is hierarchy and the idea mm. that, oh, I'm a light worker, therefore I'm better than 
John. Mm. No, nobody's better than it's just you're just working on a different area of life. And so I think that's the potential trap with light workers. But the gift with light workers, and, and usually some of the learnings are when you know what your design is, you don't fall down the hole as often. So, you know, some of the things that light workers often have to learn is that they can say no, that they don't always have to be a healer to everybody if they're exhausted, that they don't have to be a perfect human being. They are also on a learning path and um, that they're not going to do very well if they try and do it alone. Because we are community beings and light workers need collaboration, um, whether it's with the divine or whether it's with other human beings. So there, is, there are several principles that that chapter really outlines um, and really talks about what your purpose might be as a light worker in these coming decades where all hands on deck are needed. When I was reading that, um, that chapter or session and you said decades, I, I was like, oh, decades, it's going to be decades. <laughs> Can you speak to that a little bit as you're, <laughs> well, as you're, you're, you're smiling oh, and you're not, I'm going to, I should describe oh. Lee right now for the audio only listeners. <laughs> he's smiling and he's nodding. He's like, yep, it's going to be decades. You know what? You know what, what's kind of nice for me at this point in my life, uh, 2019. So who knows where I'll be in 2025? But I can honestly say that you know, go back in time, and there were periods uh, in in the last decade and before, and where I would think, oh God, it's you know, <laughs> life is tiring. I don't really feel that anymore. But I but I know that that's just because. Um, and I'm very grateful to be able to say this, that as I've continued to be able to level up and let go and heal mm -hmm. and, you know, expand, it really does get easier. Um, there are still challenges. There are still pains for people around me that I wish they weren't going through. But, you know, but actually I'm, I'm, I'm able to hold a lighter place in the center of it all. And, and, and also that includes taking care of my body in ways that I now know to take care of my body that, I wasn't really as good at maybe a few years ago. So it will take decades because this thing isn't an overnight thing. But I remember speaking to the Z's back in about 2010 and they were saying, well, 2012 is already kind of hitting you. It kind of started in 2009 and it's kind of going to be over by 2011, even though everyone talks about 2012. But they did say um, everyone's focused on this year, but they said this year of 2012 is really the beginning. Right. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like it's been a very slow burn. But I, from 2016 onwards, it was like, if you were in any doubt that we were in the middle of like major changes, um, how things started to mirror in the political world, in what's going on environmentally at an all new level, you know, it's now unavoidable recognizing mm -hmm. that we are in a big time of transformation. And one of the things they've always been adamant about is don't get lost in fear. They say, sure, be scared for an hour. If you want to be scared about the state of the world or the state of your life, really go there. They're like, really sit down and just feel that fear, but let it move through your body in 15 minutes. Don't let it run the show. Don't mm. let it be a niggling thought or feeling. And they said, you know, don't believe what you're told unless it feels true to you. And 
we do see a lot of manipulation around fear-based images and thoughts. And the thing is, if someone's telling you a story and all they can tell you about is how awful it is, then there is a solution or there is an improvement available that they are not capable of reporting. I saw the movie Zeitgeist in 2008, and I don't know if many of you have I have not, yeah. Okay, yeah, don't do it. Um, <laughs> it paints a very scary picture of the world, and yet it was very awakening for me. Um, and then three years later, Thrive came along, which was kind of like zeitgeist with potential solutions and hope. Mm. <laughs> so um, so I feel like that's the time that we're in. And, and what the Zs have said is there are multiple timelines available to you as a planet, but we will tell you it's going far, far, far better than it could have. Like they say, where you are in 2019 right now, it could be a hell of a lot worse. Consciousness is lifting on the planet. It's also raising all the dark to the surface too, because as the consciousness is raising, the basement is raising too, and we're seeing the basement really clearly, and it's kind of horrifying. But they say, be mindful of where you place your attention and where you place your energy, because there are certain agendas running on the planet that would like to co-opt your fear. So mm -hmm. if, if we are told a story a certain way and we all start to panic, not only do we help create it, but we also disempower ourselves from thinking that it's going to be any different. So I see that happening with people more and more. I see people beginning to be a bit more selective about mm -hmm. what they'll listen to and what they'll align with. And this really is a time where all of us in our own way, in our own unique ways, we're going to each be one jigsaw piece in a very large puzzle. And us doing what we feel we're here to do and offering what we're here to offer. And if ever you're getting depressed about something in the world for a long time, think, well, what can I do to help? Is it going and volunteering at my local pol political center? Or is it going to the border and seeing if I can, you know, donate something? Whatever it is, if you just sit and watch it for four months and let it depress and scare you, you're going to be a part of the problem more than the solution. And I say that not to be judgmental. I, I think that that's sometimes the wake up call we need. Yeah. But so. Aren't we, aren't we being shown though, that it's, it's the complacency or the passivity of the past is, is exactly what helped create the conditions for that, um, for the challenges of today. Well, for sure, I would, I would say yes. And I also feel like that's why, you know, if you look at the long-term predictions of this time where they will say, you know, this is going to be a transformation on earth. Um, it's going to be a consciousness revolution. Um, if you look at history, it normally takes really extreme circumstances for, for, for any kind of major change to take place. So in a way, it all adds up. Um, do I sometimes wish it was different? Like, do I sometimes wish, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if we were all in a harmonious world? Of course, like that would be so much nicer. Um, but that's not where we're at. And this isn't the time we signed. We signed up for this time as a soul. And so, yeah, I completely agree. I think everything that we're seeing that's now escalated, the Zs will say has always been here. You're not seeing anything new. It's just you're seeing it now. 
and mm -hmm. it's it's surfacing and it's a little bit like you know detox symptoms or sickness symptoms when they rise you're really acutely aware of them but they rise for a reason because they're, they're coming up and out so you know I, I i think the way i live my life now is to really just focus one day at a time as much as i can to pay attention to my own personal balance as much as i can while i'm also serving the things that i serve in the world and that's a really important message disease has been giving and say it's an intense time to be alive so you can't just hope and pray that you're going to be fine you're going to have to find your strategies that okay this is a more intense time and more people need me than ever before and the world has gone a bit crazy and it's very emotional okay i'm gonna to have to up my self-care what am i going to need in order to survive and weather a time like this and that has to move from the concept in the mind to action and if you don't bring it into action and if you don't start strategizing that for yourself, it's going to hurt. So I think that's one of the things that I think is, is also really important to remember at a time like this so that that complacency that you talk about, as, as that's leaving us, we actually have to become new people. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so grateful that you use the term self-care. Um, not only because that of that being a major focus in, in my work, but I think when I when I look back in my at my journey of the last say 10, 12 years ago, you know, for for better or worse, I was I was given a shock. And and you and I talked a little bit about, mm. you know, my presence in the Sedona Sweat Lodge before we came on here, mm. saying, you know, it might come up because it was on my journey um, of recovering from that and restoring from that that I found you and one of your mm. programs. And you know, here two, three years later, here we are, which is mm. which is really great. But it was that it was one of my foundational lessons of that mm. time was after being delivered, you know, the, the shock to the entire system, physical, mm. mental, emotional, spiritual, every every layer mm. was present there. And having to go the distance to, you know, to really to be able to baseline functioning, mm. I'm sad to say. But that's how so I had a kind of you had a breakdown. I know I, I I would not well I wouldn't characterize it as a as a breakdown. But let's just say base I was not myself, right? Yes. I was I was knocked off my you know off my axis. Yes, and the and, only reason I bring that up is that I I went through something like that in two thousand nine that kind of I didn't realize I'd had it, but I'd had like a, the, the, my guides told me after it was all over I'd had a nervous system breakdown. And that's very common when you have a big awakening. It's like, big awakening, now we drop you back, and now nothing's working. So, yeah, sorry if I yeah, okay, interject, well, but I was just curious that that happened. Yeah, no, that's, that's and, and I'll, I'll look at that, because maybe I'm too quick to say no. Yeah, um, but the, the journey of learning the importance of self-care is exactly what my the service is now. Right. It's and so you start to look at that that life path and and allowing for for the growth. And and I think that people who are experiencing challenges now can could potentially take some um encouragement from that to know that you know it won't it won't always feel this way, whatever the level of stress or or distress, and that there is a journey here. 
mm. and 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 an invitation to a journey and that invitation might come back again some you know another mm. way um so maybe it's time to take the journey um yeah and we were never taught self-care like that wasn't really someone you know our parents maybe knew how to care for us they knew how to distract us when we were emotional or but but it wasn't necessarily when we were kids that that this was in the consciousness. And I think there is much more emotional intelligence and communication today than there was 20 years ago. Um, and I think that helps people um, with self-care too. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because some people get all defense and they're like, oh, it's selfish. It's like, no, it's selfish not to. Because you not caring for yourself and not knowing how to care for yourself is actually gonna cost other people not just you, it's going to affect the quality of how you show up in your life, what you're able to bring, what you're able to give. Um, and so understanding that basic principle is so important, but it's still a relatively new one in our society. You seem to me right now to be the perfect person to ask this because you have a, a sizable audience and that makes you a leader. And do you ever think about, um, you know, sort of the, your role as the leader and then I, I guess it's responsibility of the leader to keep yourself, you know, to keep yourself clean or open or yeah. ab not, not going down that, uh, that continuum towards the ego. Yeah, no, I, I do. I do a lot actually and recently there has been a bit of a growth and a surge around what we're doing here because obviously I'm the front person for what what I do but I, I have a team of 11 um, and not everybody is full-time but you know we're 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 a team and we create and put things out into the world and I think I would say my personal lesson this past year has been ultra discernment and just a little bit of shock at who I'm having to become in order to adapt to what's coming at me. Um, more people want things, more people uh, come at me and come at the company. And that has required a slightly different, I equate it to being a parent. A parent knows that they can't go and hang out with their friends at the weekend for two days and avoid their kids or be not really there for their kids on Monday because they have given their energy to this other source. So I would say um, I'm learning to get more protective um, because I feel like I have to protect what we do in the world as a, as a company and the energy of what we put out. And of course that involves me too. I would say I've massively upped my self-care. Um, I work out six mornings a week with a trainer, which was an investment in myself. I wasn't sure I could make a year and three months ago, or I should say, I wasn't sure I should make. Um, but having Jenny train me every morning and take all the decisions out of my hands, because I'm making decisions a lot of the day, um, has made me stronger and it's given me more stamina. It means I can get more out of my energy and my body and feel better while I'm doing it. Um, as for the ego side, um, the thing I have learned to do, I would say most recently, is to 
say no quickly and say yes slowly to the opportunities that come. And there have been some, you could say, seductive opportunities that have knocked on our door and um, they've just never felt right or the intent of the person who's wanted to collaborate with us has not felt right. Mm. So, um, so I'm definitely, I'm changing quite fast at the moment to try and um, maintain the integrity of what we do and the people that we serve. And I'm definitely more aware of the potential for threat to that, if that makes sense. Um, but I also feel grateful that I've been up close and personal with some people who've really lost their way. So mm. I know very, I, I saw it close and it imprinted on me. So I try and find the balance between I'm a conduit right now for something that's way bigger than me. And yet at the same time, I'm a human being with a personal life and trying to balance between those two. It's like, when do I need some quiet time? When do I need to be in my quiet life? And when can I go back and do the conduit? So it's very much in progress right now. Um, I'm not too worried about ego stuff. I don't really worry about that. Um, I think for me, it would just be keeping my eye on energy levels, burnout potential. Mm. And really, honestly, what's helping me right now is, is remembering I can say no to every single person that comes at me on a given day because they don't necessarily understand what it is I'm doing. They have, they have their desire and want of me, but they have no idea the 15 things I'm involved in every single day. And so it's like, that's, that's not something I would have been capable of even five years ago. Um, but your circumstances change and they make you change. Thank you for sharing that. Um, because I think a lot, that's one of, that's, that's one of the, it's one of my big questions after, um, after well, all, all of my work is based on looking for answers to that and question, even this podcast came about that way. And I'm so, I'm always curious as, as the podcast grows and then as I'm speaking to people um, who are in, you know, increasingly influential roles, these are the questions that are, that are, I think, not just important to me, but they're important for, for everyone as we move forward together on this rock circling the, the sign. Yeah. And, and I love that you bring it in, Laura, because, you know, honestly, I was scared. Like in 2013, I did a channel for myself um, and they basically told me, they said, your work's just going to keep growing. And in the future, more people are going to know what you do. And my ego absolutely was terrified. Um, will I be safe? Will I be attacked? Uh, how will I handle it? And who I was in 2013 was not very comfortable with that idea. Um, I was still driven to do my work. I didn't retire. I didn't walk away. But I always reminded myself, well, you can always stop. You know, if ever you feel it's too much. Or, but what I will say is, you know, what they also said was, and this might be helpful for your listeners, they said any fears you have of what you won't be able to cope with will be far outweighed and mitigated by the richness of the connections, the experiences, and the learnings you'll get to have through saying yes to your role growing. And my God, I mean, honestly, I, 
I read that at the time and I knew it was true, but now I've experienced it and I, I can say it's way truer than I even hoped it would be. And so I think for me, because I've, I had so many identity wounds um, and I feel like I'm in a period at the moment where I've kind of hit a new level of being free of many of those that used to plague or bring me down. Um, and I'm sure there will be more that will come along once I've integrated this stage that I'm not seeing yet. But right now I'm in a bit of a grace period <laughs> where um, I feel like less of my personality is in the way of my service. And so I have a more spiritual experience than I've ever had of showing up in the world, whether that's through the work I do or whether that's through going for dinner with a new friend that we've just met. And, and so that, in a way, a lot of it gets taken out of your hands if you just keep saying yes, because who you are today while you're scaring, scared of that growth is not who you'll be when you're standing in the experience of that growth, because you'll go through every step You'll go through every little bit of training, mm -hmm. every little bit. And of course, having good people around you. You know, the motto I have with my, my company, my team is talent is everywhere. Attitude is gold. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have the, 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 the motto, if we can't make the deadline, we move the deadline. So I think having the right, knowing what's right for you and who you're aligned with and having good people around you um, helps you with any growth and I think often when I hear people tell me that they're scared and this is true for me you just haven't yet got enough people around you and you're mm. you're standing solo with this big thing and feeling a little vulnerable and actually if your mission is something that needs to grow in size so too will the numbers of people that you collaborate with and even if you're the front person or the leader um, if you get the relationships right um, you won't you won't really feel alone. The only times I really feel alone in this work is right before I walk out on the stage for an hour or two. It's like, oh, there's this crushing feeling of being completely alone, but it's right before um, I'm about to go and deeply connect with people. So it's like the pend mm. pendulum swing before you go and fall in love with an audience, basically. Yeah, yeah, and deeply connect with a lot of people. Totally. So there's this, there's this energy exchange where you're putting the energy out Mm -hmm. And then it's it's coming back to, to you, I would imagine, multiplied. Yeah, and it's amplified. So it's funny, we, Stephen said to me the other night, he said, he was talking about a speaker that we'd recently seen, and he was saying, well, they're not like you because you're who you are on stage. He said, you're just a slightly bigger version. And I, I thought that was a really good way of putting it because it is an amplification when you're speaking to several hundred people even if you've got a microphone on your, you know, on your face, um, you, you are amplified. You have to be because it's very different to sitting one-on-one, -on -one. but it, but it, it, like, like you said, it is this extraordinary connection that you all have together in that moment that, that, um, that you all feel. Cause I always say, even if someone is on the stage speaking or singing or teaching, um, there are 300 or a thousand voices in that room that are dictating how the speaker, singer, teacher teaches. Um, you know, it, it's the thing I learned in theater at a young age. The audience influence what's going on on that stage more than they realize because no show is ever the same. 
and their energy and the way they're responding and reacting is actually molding what's going on. So mm. the audience has a power they perhaps don't always realize they have. Seems to me that would be something really um, humbling for the person on the stage to remember. You know, that was one of the weirdest things for me because acting to me taught me shamanism. Like it didn't teach me technique, it taught me, because I kind of had an innate ability to shapeshift as a kid. Um, and I also didn't have much of a self-identity, which is why it's such an irony now that I end up doing what I do as me. Because when I was at drama school, I couldn't be me. I didn't really know who I was. You know, I could be Shylock or I could be an 85-year-old grandparent and I could convince, you know, I could become that. Um, but what it taught me about energy was profound because I remember certain actors, you know, I was doing plays that we'd do like 65 shows. So they were quite long runs and um, actors would go, mm, the audience, are, the, the, the play's rubbish tonight. The audience are really not into it. And I'd always be so struck by that. They were just quiet. The night before we'd had a raucous audience who, you know, made it all feel very lively on the stage, but this audience were enjoying it. They just, they'd started quiet. And what tends to happen is group mind. So if they mm. start quiet, they're only going to grow so much. But if they come in raucous and there are enough raucous people that start the noise. So I never quite understood actors who didn't understand that principle. I would always be a bit shocked because I would think, well, it's supposed to be a little bit different tonight. And I always felt like, yes, we bring something to them, but man, they're bringing at least 50% of it to us. And based on how they want to receive us, we're going to slightly adapt. Which I think is like life, actually. I mean, if you think about it, any conversation that we are having with anybody, there are two people in that conversation. Even if one is supposedly dominant, um, it doesn't work like that. That's not how energy works. You mentioned identity wounds, and I wanted to go back to that um, because you were mentioning your own. And then I think to a certain degree, that's my perception of, of how you help people mm -hmm. is to look at their identity wounds. So, so let's bring that conversation into, you know, the, um, how powerful it can be to learn your wounds and then, and then live with them. Yeah, so what I, what I love about us as human beings is wonderful and hilarious and crazy as we all are, it's, it's that we all have more in ourselves that we can uncover at any time. And what's often very interesting is the area of our biggest wounds or our biggest limitations or low beliefs about ourselves. what we're actually doing. So let me say, let me think. Uh, so let's say I'm like, oh God, Laura, I'm just so unconfident and scared of public speaking. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's oh, it really, you know, it's like, oh, go there. Because there is a ton of energy underneath that volcano you're trying to hold down. And whenever we have like anything that's wobbly or fear-based in us and Trust me, I had so many fears in my life. And in my 20s, I went to some workshops and started to, the whole reason I began doing private sessions was I was learning to say yes to things that scared me. 
not terrified me because if it was terror that's a bit too much that's deep trauma you don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to throw yourself into something where there is deep trauma you want to gently help that deep trauma heal so that you can move forward but if it was fear which I had a lot uh, I had to say yes and so what I do with people in workshops or in the online courses is you know let's say my goal is I want to overcome uh, this fear I have and I want to be able to be a public speaker and I want to be able to be confident we just go and visit the wound and it's like okay well let's where did this start what does it have to say to us why is it so scared why does it want you to not walk forward because it's going to have things to tell us that are going to be really useful so I mean I work in different ways with different people because I tend to move the method depending on the person's sensibility and, and way of learning and way of feeling and expressing but it's really fascinating when you do zero in on some of these things the life force that comes out of you in that one area as you start to learn to empower yourself to be a public speaker has a domino effect not only on your whole life but on the lives of people around you and sometimes it's our relationships with other people that we're using as an excuse it's like oh, well I, I can't i can't become a public speaker because my, my sister's a, a successful public speaker and she's always putting me down and i i, I don't want to compete with her great that's really good information now let's realize that that's a load of crock of old mm -mm. and let's walk towards that and let's also give your sister a wonderful healing opportunity to recognize she's not in competition with you and oh lo and behold you become a speaker and actually that's not bothering her that much anyway she's actually really happy for you and it's a moment for her to be proud of you so we tell ourselves all these stories and we create these crusty stories and we push these things down inside us and life has a way of either putting you into a crisis or inviting you to be in a supported space at the right place at the right time to let one of these pop open. And when you pop one, three months later, you have a bit more confidence in this area. It just has this knock-on effect. And so it's not that we all have to become multi-talented at 150 different things. But the Zs often say, that enlightenment is when you have mastered eight areas of your life. So for example, you, Laura, clearly this is part of yours. You're, you, one of your areas of mastery is communication. And you have clearly mastered that and are still mastering it today because you're working in it. Now, one of mine would be being an energy teacher or a channeler or a musician. And I'm constantly doing my more than 10,000 hours in those areas. So I'm continuing to master an area that I already have a mastery open in. So, you know, a new one for either of us is, you know, it might be that we hit a certain age in our life and it's like, now Lee and Laura are going to get to master deep intimacy with this person or that person. And they're either going to do it through having a kid or they're going to do it through a new level in relationship. So when we have eight areas, we tend to feel pretty connected. So it's not that you need to have 65 talents, but most of us start to feel very fulfilled and very connected and present in life when, when we've got at least eight channels open and alive in who we are as human beings. What just popped for me there when you were, when you were coming back around to the eight was the word um, self-actualization. Like once you're being yourself in those areas yeah. and, and letting that, um, letting that be seen. And I think, 
I don't, I, this may or may not occur as true for, for anyone else, but part of my journey has been around being seen in these areas. And, and so, you know, as, as a child, I loved to public speak. I, I loved, I was good at it, but then at some point, not sure when, you know, that, that was, that, that was either, well, it wasn't either like ground out of me in some way, mm. you know, either the don't stand up, you know, don't stand out too much or, you know, everybody else is afraid to do it. And, and that sort of norming thing that we can do to, to fit in and, and not be different. I don't have the conscious um, memory of it, but then as an adult, when I was um, in the Sedona sweat lodge and it was very public, a part of the trauma and part of the fear was I didn't want people to me. My spirituality was a private thing. Mm. Why? Because that would differ, make me different from the tribe. And so it's the same thing over and over again. And the more recent version of that, let's, it'd be nice if it was mastery, but it's been about allowing the visibility on that because keeping it down, like you were saying, was too much work. Yeah. Energetically, practically, internet wise, you know, Mm -hmm. all of it. I was like, all right, what's going to, what's going to happen here if I open up to this, you know, this piece of me. Yes. But and I that is scary. It's, it's scary. And then I imagine when you've done it enough times, it's kind of freeing. Not necessarily. Exhilarating. Because, because if you, and this is, this is kind of, I guess, what I meant by the, the domino effect. It is. It's like getting on the roller coaster. It's like, oh, I don't want to get on the, I mean, I've, I don't know about anyone else, but I have had so many <laughs> like literal roller coaster experiences where you're like, that looks fun. And then you're standing in the line and you're like, oh my God, why did I say yes? And then, and then you get on it and you're like, ah, you know, and phew, we didn't die. And, you know, at the end you are exhilarated. So for you, that fear that you have, which by the way, I think everyone can relate to, especially 10 years ago, like same spirituality still was very fringy back then. And people were very judgmental, very suspicious. Um, yeah, you didn't necessarily want to have to deal with everyone else's opinions either, or be the odd one out, you know, it's like, cause you didn't necessarily feel disconnected from them, uh, or at least not in certain ways. So with you, it's like, you have that epiphany that fear that you've moved into the fear and you've mastered it. Now that's going to have such a knock on effect on any other area, because that was an area where part of you wanted to pull back and you were forced to push forward and you agreed to push forward. So now pushing forward as a principle in any other area of your life, you've rehearsed it a little bit. You've, you've begun it, but that's also why it can often be something mm, catalytic in a tragic or difficult way that makes people awaken some people go willingly and some people like they lose a loved one or they're involved in a terrible accident or you know something that 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 starts off as a tragic horrific painful thing then becomes the thing that sets this you know kind of domino thing in motion in your body in your psyche and who you are as a person and eventually frees you up to live in a slightly more connected way one thing that I had to learn was to not wait for tragedy to transform. 
like when I, when I went back over what the defining moments were, they were centered around loss. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's a very revealing one because status quo was okay until it really, really, really wasn't. You know, the, the world mirrored how much it wasn't. And it, and yeah. it was, you know, big loss, family yeah. member, best friend. Um, and then in between that, you know, the sweat lodge definitely was um, exponential because there were so many people involved. But in between there, I started to learn about growth for growth's sake in growth for the sake of consciousness. And, and that's why I think I'm so um, invested in this podcast to, to bring people on to have the conversations about, you know, how does consciousness occur for them? You know, and, and how, does, how does growth and leadership show up, you know, in, in their capacity? Which is great because, you know, we all learn from each other. And I was recently talking to a friend and I was saying that my favorite books were often biographies and my favorite thing to watch would be people talking like being interviewed like you know I was fascinated like how is this person dealing with life wow this person had this really extreme thing go on and they're going to talk to Oprah about it or you know I wasn't so interested in their work as their journey most of the time and I think that's that's natural for seekers and because we learn so much from each other. It's like, oh, wow, Laura, that happened to her. And that's how she dealt with it. We, we're imbibing so much of each other all the time that I, I think when we, when we share our kind of hits and misses and learnings, it's, it's fantastic. It, it starts to, it, it reminds me of a, um, another interview I did recently where I was talking about, like, we really, it, it validates the idea that we're not separate from each other. Oh, for sure. It's like there really is only one of us here. And I'm always reminded of that. I mean, there are synchronous moments all through life that show me that. But whenever I'm doing like, say, our one week soul magic retreat um, or I mean, even even on our one day workshops or our evening workshops, this cohesion starts to happen. But whenever you're in a retreat setting with 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 people where because I always say the community is the medicine. So. We do this thing every year called Soul Magic for a year in Costa, for a, for a year. It feels like a year for a week in Costa Rica, and obviously I'm leading us through this process of energetic leadership for a week. What does that look like? But I also, basically, before the thing begins, I channel what the themes are going to be because now I know who's coming. I know what the themes are going to be, and then through the week, as we people share their stories and what they're going through the synchronicities just blow your mind. And because we hold space and a framework for that to be shown, people then return to their lives and they start to know how to see and bring it into the rest of the world. But, you know, I always say that I think the healthiest thing that could happen for all of us is if we all just got to sit around in the morning in cluster groups in our neighborhoods and just let people speak for five minutes about what they're going through we would soon realize how connected we are. And um, I, I'm very close with some people in, in the recovery field. And so I've, I've attended quite a few AA meetings mm. um, and I loved them. And I thought, wow, this is like workshop. These are a bit like our workshops, you know, there's a, and I think it's so healthy that, um, that it would be wonderful for the world if we were able to see, see ourselves in each other 
by actually sharing what's truly going on inside us uh, with each other in that way, because it kind of will blow your mind, like how, how alike we are. And that's what doing private sessions for 15 years taught me. It was like, wow, we, it opened my heart to what we're all dealing with something. And um, unfortunately, our silence about that in the world and to each other about that keeps us feeling lonely, isolated. And I think that's why I'm so heartened that the world is changing in those areas, mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. The, the polarization that is the result of that is that that's a part of the healing, I think, at the mm-hmm. societal level. Yeah. And I do also think that, you know, I think a lot of people get caught in trying, wanting the world to be harmonious. And I think that's a trap because as much as I would love that too, your world can be harmonious and you can promote, embody, and be attracted to harmony and really live that. And then more cluster groups get created where harmony is the norm. And then, you know, it ripples out to the whole, but I think you've got to be careful about wanting to impose the experience that you feel led to have on 7 billion people, because we're all coming from slightly different places, but ultimately we do all want connection. Like Mm -hmm. deep down, every human being wants to feel connected. And those who are playing out the biggest wounds in society or the biggest shadow ego moves, against other people it's because the wounds are so deep they're so buried they're so far away from their ability to get to them that they act out instead so yeah i think harmony and connection and the creation of it is vital um and spending too long in despair about how the world doesn't look and you'd like it to that's not really going to get you anywhere and i you know and I, i i've met many people along the way who 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 think it will, but what I've normally kind of just pointed out to them or, or not pointed out because it's often not my place is no, you're actually just processing despair or grief and you're using these stories to process your unprocessed despair or grief, but you're not really getting anywhere with it because you're not really going deeply into why you feel such grief, fear or despair in mm. the first place. There's a reason that you're aligning with those emotions and a little exploration would free up so much life force for you. Mm. I'm keenly aware that I cannot keep you on here forever like I'd like to. (laughs) Yeah, I do Um, actually have to go soon, but it's lovely talking to you. Um, So why don't we we wrap up with this idea of radical expression and Mm -hmm. that's um, as the doorway to transformation. That's one of the chapters towards the end of the book. And um, because it seems like that's where we're going. We're, we're headed in our conversation. Yeah. Well, in, in, a, in an interesting way, I guess we have been talking about radical expression. So I really like that you bring that in. Um, how much can we tell the truth? And I think that changes for all of us, depending on how comfortable we become in our life, how harmonious our relationships are and how receptive our relationships are to the truth. But you know, radical expression, the chapter and what that really deals with is when are we costing ourselves by staying silent about certain things in order to protect other people, or so we believe? And when are we missing the point that us telling the truth about who we are and what we feel to someone else 
is also a gift for them now to anybody who is listening who's like oh well i always tell people the truth and you know i'm always telling them what i think well that's different i'm not i'm you know and, and what i would say to you guys is that will be working really well for you if if you have brilliantly aligned relationships friendships connection fantastic if you're constantly alienating people or you don't really have many close friends you might want to look at that you might want to look at your compulsion to tell the truth in an unfiltered perhaps unloving way is creating a lack of intimacy in your life so what part of you is kind of subconsciously pushing people away through being more determined to tell the truth as you see it than connect with others so this is really more to those people who will stay silent about things or fear that they're saying something might upset or offend or and, and, and it really talks about, you know, we aren't, even if you consider yourself a healer or a light worker or a loving, nurturing, kind person, there are going to be times you will need to say something with full knowledge that might make the person in front of you uncomfortable. And you need to learn how to hold a loving, gracious, but clear place around that for yourself and for the other person. Because as we speak our truth, and put that into the world, our life changes. And we can do it very slowly and gently at first as we get used to it, but eventually it doesn't serve anybody for us to be filtering truths that we're aware of. Now, I've noticed through my own life, it's like I get more truthful as time goes on. And it's not that I am consciously not being truthful three years ago. It's almost like I just hit a new level of awareness or readiness or emotional wellness that i'm able to tell the truth perhaps in a faster um, way so it's not necessarily that we're all lying to ourselves but it's where is our subconscious or our unconscious slightly running the show and where can we become more conscious about creating change in our life through our words because our words are so powerful and they move the energy in the room they move the energy in relationships and that's really what that chapter is asking you to kind of come back to Mm -hmm. as has this conversation <laughs> well likewise it's been lovely talking to you yes thank you for having me yeah thank you very much for being on I'll just mention for the listener that I'll include links in the show notes to your website and uh, and to the book energy speaks which if you've enjoyed hearing Lee speak to me in this conversation reading this book and uh and checking out you do a lot on youtube um yes a lot of video um so you can you can sort of connect with lee that way and uh and you know decide like you said ultra discernment right for all yeah. of us discern what's for you and yes. and what lands is truth and 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 if we all did that, we'd be really going places. Yeah. Um, for the people who can't um, click links right now and are, are listening to this, where they can only hear, can you just give us your your website and and the best places for people to connect with you? Yes. So my website is leeharrisenergy.com. That's L E E H A R R I S. And then the word energy, E-N-E-R-G-Y.com. Um, I also have a music site, which is leeharrismusic.com. And you can find me under my name on Facebook and on YouTube. 
And every month I do a free video called the energy update, which is a little bit like, uh, I'm a little bit like an energy weatherman each month. And I kind of give you a bit of a, uh, what's going on with the energy weather right now and what, what might be showing up for you and here's some tools and tips to deal with it. And then of course, at my website, you'll find more ways to engage with my work, my portal community and courses and my impact the world entrepreneur training. So I really love working with healers, creatives, and soul-focused entrepreneurs too. Well, once again, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to, to meet you in this capacity. And uh, I look forward to um, continuing to see your work and, uh, and who knows where our paths will cross. That would be awesome, Laura. Yeah, likewise. I've loved being here. I love the name of the show and I I love what you are doing in the space that you're holding. So thank you for doing what you do in the world. We'll write back at you, Lee. Yeah, take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration and information. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd be grateful if you would take a few extra seconds for three quick things. First, if there's an idea or story that you know would make a difference in someone else's life, follow the link in the show notes back to our website where you can easily share it with them. Second, subscribe so that you can be part of the ongoing conversation on whatever app or website you're listening on. Big conversations become the catalyst for meaningful change. And if you happen to be listening on iTunes, please take a few moments to leave a rating and a review. The last thing I'll leave you with is that we are building a community of conscious leaders to engage in big conversations and support the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash freeyourinnerguru or support.freeyourinnerguru.com. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.